everybody, and welcome back to At The Devil's Ball. Uh, coming off of our most popular episode we've ever had, um, in the sense that it made 90 listeners this past week, which is uh, a personal best for us. It's like the uh, season finale of MASH kind of numbers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which, of course, was due to our uh, our extraordinary guest, The Mads. Right. Um, and two weeks in a row, we also managed to basically not talk about the movie at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, we're gonna we're gonna remedy that this week. Um, we've got a deep dive here to to dive into Black Christmas, um, a, the 1974 film. Uh, and uh, uh, I am Nathaniel. I'm Samuel. And Samuel, and we've got a very special guest on with us again. Um, we, she is a, an educator, a writer, a screenwriter. Um, and just a wonderful overall extraordinary person. She's been on the show before to talk with us about it, chapter one and chapter two. Um, and uh, she's back. She's a genuine Southern Belle. We've got Jamie Alvey on with us. Hi, everybody. Thank you all for having me back. Absolutely. We're always uh, we're always and- thrilled when somebody we uh, we respect and admire actually wants to come back and do right. the show. Um, we we always assume everybody just runs screaming uh, <laughs> afterwards. So. Uh, but you're a big fan of Black Christmas. Um, you you actually had me on last year. You did a script read of yeah. Black Christmas, which you were nice enough to let me join, mm-hmm. um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to do the roles of Sergeant Nash and um, uh, Claire's dad, um, Mr. Uh, Crap. Mr. Harrison. Harrison. Mr. Harrison, um, which was a lot of fun. So, um, so Jamie, tell me a little bit about... Uh, uh, why you love Black Christmas? What I know it's a bit. You're a huge fan of the film, correct? Yes, yes, I love Black Christmas. Black Christmas, just to me, the story is. It's one of those. It's very prescient. It's a very timeless plot. There, um, I think it really still speaks to um, a modern audience in a very um, culturally significant way. Sure. It's also just, it's so well done. Um, just everything, it's so creepy. Uh, the acting is great. Everything about it is top notch. And I absolutely love like that era of 70s horror. Absolutely. Where people were trying different things and making all these different kinds of movies. So Black Christmas, just, it, it's captivating to me. Well, that's a wonderful intro um, on that. So, Sam, why don't you give us the vitals, and then we'll dive right into that conversation. So, uh, Black Christmas was released on uh, December 20th of 1974, had an estimated budget of $620,000. Not not a whole lot even for the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Directed by Bob Clark, written by Roy Moore. Uh, Reginald Morris was the director of photography. Carl Zitter uh, did the music. Uh, as far as for cast goes, we have um, <clears throat> excuse me, we have uh, James Edmond as Mr. Harrison, Andrea Martin as Phil, Marion Weldman as Mrs. Mack, John Saxon uh, on the show again, uh, yep, or, uh, about him a Lieutenant Ken Fuller, yep, yep, uh, Margot Kidder uh, as Barb, Keir Delia as Peter. Olivia Hussey also returning to the show as uh, Jess. Uh, we did her in uh, the It miniseries. Yep. And oh, my God, I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. She was in that too. Yeah. And wow. um, I lost the last girl's name. Uh, Lynn Griffin as Claire Harrison. Yeah. 
Awesome. So yeah, as Jamie mentioned, I mean, this is a, this is a pretty much a, a front runner for mm-hmm. um, for the slasher film. Um, it's usually it's usually stated to kind of be the first one. It's that's not quite true, but it's kind of true. Oh, it's like it's like trying to find the first human being or the first chicken. Like you know, yeah. there's always a, this. Yeah, yeah. Debate uh, as to where where stops becoming another creature becomes this creature. But I'd say this is for me the strongest um, contender for the first one that kind of nails the formula yeah uh, yeah I, you're probably right as far as the formula is concerned i, I was gonna i always think that the slasher film kind of starts with peeping tom right. um but uh but you're right but in terms of peeping tom is way more to do with psycho than halloween yeah. and uh so and there's yeah, I mean, some people will say like you know ten little indians or you know everybody's got a different idea of you know yeah, mario bava had already made right. uh, uh bay of blood by this point yeah um yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, but it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting film in the sense that a lot of tropes that would become the, the standard for slashers, uh, start here. Um, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about, um, the stuff that, that this film does extraordinarily well that didn't become major tropes. Um, one key example that I thought that I noticed, particularly this time watching through mm-hmm. is, uh, the first victim in a slasher film um, is usually kind of forgotten by the 20 minute mark. Um, they're usually there to warm up the audience and maybe kickstart the plot. Uh, like the most famous one now, of course, being like maybe Casey Becker from scream, which is a big deal. It's a big scene, but she's more or less forgotten about by 15 minutes. Yeah, it's there. And she's there basically for the audience and yeah. nobody else. Almost. Yeah. Uh, and she's uh, of course, obviously that film's all about meta stuff, but mm-hmm. um, and what I mean by that is that Claire, Harrison, the first victim of this movie, drives uh, at least a third of this whole plot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she is yeah. never she is never forgotten about uh, right up until the last time. I think she's I mean, even right up to the very, very end when Mr. Harrison faints um, mm-hmm. and they and Chris is there, the boyfriend. And the, the two yeah. of them are like, you know, I'm sure she's fine. Like they right. still remember her at the very last reel of the film. Um but it's extraordinary to me that, you know, Claire is bumped off right away in the beginning of the movie. Um, we have uh, Barb has the big freak out uh, where she projects her own guilt onto uh, the other characters. Uh, Phyllis breaks down being like, I know she's dead. Uh, the whole concept of her father and boyfriend being these major entities that get the police involved. The police are not really interested until these guys get involved yeah. um, all the way through this movie. Uh, right up pretty much she's actually probably the main plot point until we get the red herring of peter um which is when the narrative then takes off into the uh peter's probably the killer um but that to me is something that i didn't really think about until this last watch through where i was like claire is like the most important character in this movie and she's in it for five minutes yeah and it's just such an extraordinary and smart idea um and uh and just the idea that um it, it helps to solidify i think that all of the actors do a great job of this but these aren't disposable characters um they have people that love them mm-hmm. you know um you know we get to meet claire's boyfriend we get to meet who seems like a really nice guy uh mm-hmm. we meet her father who's a little bit of a jerk at first but he starts to become sympathetic um but we also get the idea that, you know, we get a little bit of Barb, uh, you know, really just wants her mom to care about her. 
uh, wants her sisters at the sorority house to care about her. Um, you know, and uh, all of these people are people that are real people that exist in this world with people that care about them. Um, and so I wanted to kind of start with with that. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that, um, but how important Claire is to this narrative. I, I, I think a lot about that myself in terms of how much it just shows how much of a bond that these girls have, too. And I feel like that's the whole backbone of the movie, so mm-hmm. to speak is how much of a bond these girls have because I know Barb is catty but you she reveals so much in just the stress that she feels from Claire being missing Mm -hmm. so she has so much guilt um but it really shows that when push comes to shove that Barb does care they all care very much about one another and it's something that I really really adore about the movie is how much it shows that there's genuine love there there's genuine support there Mm -hmm. um and you talked about claire's uh, not claire um barb's mother how she does but she has uh the girls there at the sorority they they all genuinely love one another and you you don't really see that in a lot of movies where there is that kind of camaraderie sisterhood there's always some kind of weird split it feels like um Mm -hmm. like where they're trying to drum up drama and conflict but you don't have that here and that's something that I wish that they had taken into a lot of other films very true I mean it's it's hard to write characters especially if you're if you're, you know, main thrust of your movie is, you know, just killing people and getting, you know, asses in seats to see people get killed. Um, well, that's, yeah, for me, that's what sets this movie apart, you know, more than anything else, even including, you know, its point on the timeline of, of horror and slasher films and its importance there is that everybody feels like genuine characters, mm-hmm. genuine people, um, you know, even down to, you know, all the sisters are, feel like lived in people they they all they all have different personalities they, they almost all have different voices from like an authorial aspect they don't sound like they're all written by the same person um each of them kind of fits into a, a segment you know of, of, a, of a character like you know you have the, the foul-mouthed one the really sweet one but they're not just that they're very you know faceted yeah and even when you leave the sorority house you know area like you said with the the boyfriend is, you know, of kind of a red herring for the killer, and he's kind of a jackass. But you could almost see like his point of view. I should say he's kind of a jackass. He's a total he is jackass. A jackass. Yeah. Uh, that the scene about the abortion is, you know, it, it's a scene that's happened, you know, a, a million yeah. times in real life. But it's it's dude, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, and there will. I think we should yeah. probably put a little bit. We'll of get a, to that. A yeah. little bit of a content warning too, if that is right. something that would upset you at home. Uh, uh, tread with caution but yeah the but yes yeah the cops feel like you know actual people who are also cops even you know the 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 comedic support one is you know feels like an actual he's not like you know he's probably the most realistic cop in the movie what what did they call what did they call david arquette's character in the scary movies uh doofy doofy yeah yeah he doesn't he doesn't come off like doofy yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's that's what really sets this apart for me. 
Yeah. Well, I think Sergeant Nash is probably the most realistic cop in the movie, honestly. I mean, I think that's what yeah. you, uh, Sergeant Nash is what you really would encounter at the police station. <laughs> right. Uh, we don't, unfortunately, I don't think in real life we get too many Lieutenant Fullers. Um, yeah. No. Which, uh, which is a shame because what's what we need is Lieutenant yeah. Fullers. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good place to start too. I mean, let's talk, let's just rip that bandaid right off. Let's talk about John Saxon in this movie. It's a, uh, one of my favorite performances of his. Um, he has such, such range in this film um, and shows a little bit of a lighter side than I think he normally does. Um, I mean, honestly, obviously one of the funniest horror movie scenes of all time is the fellatio. <laughs> um, when Sergeant, where uh, it basically is set up to the idea that of uh, Lieutenant Fuller picks, John Saxon picks up the sheep, does a double take, and then his partner Buchanan at the other desk dying laughing bursts out laughing and right. and and John Saxon's like looking at it and he just has this big grin on his face and the other guy is just losing it and then right. Nash comes in and he's like he's like what is this extension Nash and I'm like, oh it's fellatio it's a new it's a new extension and he's like it's a new exchange extension yeah it's a new exchange yeah. um you know you couldn't pick your nose without written instructions yep. um it's such a funny scene and you don't get to see John Saxon's oh, file. Oh, it's, oh, it's a new, new exchange. Yeah, she gave it to me. Oh, she gave it, she gave to, it you. to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, but it's such a funny scene. And we don't get to see John Saxon smile that much, at least not in a, a genuine comedy way. No. Um, but what always impresses me about the character um, is the scenes where he's, and he's not in the room with Olivia Hussey, which is extraordinary. They're right. both, they're both acting to a phone. But there are these wonderful conversations between the two of them where, uh, as we talked about, you know, uh, there's a, this su- abortion subplot and yeah. Fuller pretty much runs into uh, runs into Peter once and goes, that guy's trouble. Um, and, but he, when he's talking to Jess, there's so much concern for her. There's so much sympathy for her that when she tells him, uh, I believe she tells him outright what the argument yeah. between her and Peter was about. And his right. response to that is more or less like that must be really hard. Um, not judgment, not, right. uh, not, you know, uh, not any patriarchal. Uh, right. Well, maybe he has a right to, you know, his opinion. No, it's like, yeah. uh, I genuinely kind of bothers him that he's like, I'm sorry, I have to ask you these questions. Yeah. Um, it's really upsetting. Um, it's, and it's so powerful for the idea that they share this bond despite having, I think, literally one scene with each other in person when he comes to the house to tap the phone. They never, they never meet again right. in the narrative, only over the phone where they're in separate rooms. And you wouldn't know it. They both perform against each other so very, very well. Um, but it's what really, I think, makes Fuller um, such a, a, a kind of a heroic character when we care about is because he's Definitely. so sympathetic to her um so i what do you guys think about that what do you think about the character of lieutenant fuller he's honestly he is the only it seems like outside of the girls and like claire's dad and uh her boyfriend his, he's the only one that genuinely shows any kind of actual level of concern mm-hmm. um and that feels very true to life honestly I've written about this, about uh, police negligence uh, in cases where people wind up dead yeah. um, in relation to Black Christmas. Uh, but he 
and it's almost like it gets to him way too late too because it's just it's devastating to me because he's the it's like he's the only person that cares um and you think how much more could have been done if he had come in from the beginning right you mean if you had or, been like made aware of it sooner yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Because Fuller and the others didn't bring it to his attention until way later in the, in the plot. Yeah. And, you know, he's the guy who's like, um, excuse me, but we have a dead girl in the park and this girl's missing, like, right down the street and you weren't going to yeah. tell me nothing? And there's and there's obscene and there's phone calls being made yeah. to that address, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is actually something that, it's Mr. Harrison who, come, who notices Nash is right. not making the connection. And yeah. he's the one that then goes and sees Fuller. Um, after after Chris, the uh, Claire's boyfriend, runs in and starts screaming at Nash earlier, which right. gets Fuller the attention of Fuller's attention about the which he calls him by his first name. There's a little nice little moment there where apparently the two of them know each other. Yeah, he said, "How's your brother?" Yeah, how's your brother? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's like, "Hey," and he calls him by Phil or something. He's like, "Hi, right. Phil." You know, uh, you know my my girlfriend's missing, and Fuller's which like, is a great little de-escalation moment too. Yeah. like because you know he's coming in there way too hot. Yeah, and in his know. gigantic fur coat. <laughs> right, it's one of my favorite images of that movie. I'm like, what a choice, 1974, to just have yeah. this, have this jock kind of athlete boyfriend guy rocket, and he just got this gigantic fur coat on, um, right. and he smashes the door open, and the uh, the reef falls down. Yeah, um, it's such a, it's so cool. Um, but yeah, just the giant fur coat always gets me every time. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's all it's it's a really interesting concept. I mean, uh, Sam and I have talked a couple of times about police in horror films and um, they usually are a problem. Yeah, you have to you have to nerf them most of the time to not have the the plot be stopped by them. Yeah. Or they or they create or uh, as we've talked about with like Candyman or um, or or Nightmare on Street Part Three, which is which are films that. When you bring the police into the scenario, uh, you start challenging the audience's uh, suspension of disbelief, because once you introduce authority, uh, people start thinking in grounded terms, um, which I think is one of the reasons why you still see online every once in a while people giving uh, uh, the scene of uh, Jess going back into the house after Phil and Barb when they're like, why would she do that? Like, it, you know, my, my suspension of disbelief has been damaged. Even though oh, I hate that, it's you know it makes perfect sense. Yeah, her friends are yeah. in there. Friends are in yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, and most importantly, and I think this is the thing that most people don't think about: no one knows anyone is dead at that point. Mm-hmm. There's literally right. no they they know there's danger. They know there's right. someone in the house, but she doesn't know that does not know that Claire is dead. She does not know Mrs. Mac is dead. She doesn't know yeah. Barb is dead. She doesn't know. Yeah. All they know is there's a kid dead in the park that it may right. have something to do. With yeah. and, the, and there's a killer maybe in the house probably in the house and her friends are upstairs sleeping yeah well and, there's a know, dangerous man in the house right no he's a killer yet right that's the thing and everybody always thinks about it and it's like why would she go back inside i'm like well actually she doesn't even know exactly what the danger is no, right no um actually i was thinking uh writer claire c holland wrote a book of poetry about final girls and she has one about jess yeah that really uh 
touches on that going back inside part um, about like how you can't be the one just standing out there on the on the lawn and just waiting. Um, And I just I just find it so weird that people like, why would you do that? And I'm like, I know 100 percent if it were me, I'm going back in there. Yeah, because it's and I think it solidifies just how selfless Jess really is because you have this whole movie Peter calling her selfish 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 and then there she is she does the most selfless act in the film yeah I'll I'll tell you what if uh if she was a male character nobody would ever have like questioned it no you're right there yeah Yeah. like it would never come up that like well why did she do that like well of course she's the hero she has to go upstairs and save the people like but if it's if it's a sorority woman, I guess yeah. If it's, it's Bruce, it's if, it's Bru- if it's Bruce Campbell, it would be right. Like, if he didn't go back in, everybody would be like, "Wait, why didn't he?" Um, right. But no, or or nowadays you would have the opposite, which would be if Jess didn't go back in, people would be writing thought pieces about what a terrible character she is for yeah. not going right. back for her friends. So you know you can't uh, Olivia Hussey, you can't win um, no. with the with the internet today. Um, well, first of all, this 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 movie would be you know too quote unquote woke, so <laughs> our, already it's going to be shat upon. Oh, the internet. Um, uh, yep, yep. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it, but yeah, I mean, it's but I wonder if sometimes if it's partially. Although I think Sam, you might have hit the nail on the head there. There's probably some gender bias going on there too. But I do wonder if it's the if it is the 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 one lingering. Uh, once you put the cops in the movie, do people start thinking in terms that they don't w- would not wouldn't wouldn't think about if police were not involved? Um, if that There's makes a little sense. bit of that. There's a little yeah. bit of that, um, and because the movie, um, the way the film is shot goes between subjective and objective cameras so often, sometimes within the same scenes, it messes with like. The way it's shot, we're like, oh, are we watching the killer right now? And then you see the killer in another part of the frame come in, or other times, you know, you're you think you're watching just a, a scene shot, and it's him. I think that might actually also confuse the audience a little bit uh, by the end, um, to where we know the danger much more than the characters yeah. do, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we've it's such a big. Um, amazingly shot you know third act that mm-hmm. we're tense in that situation watching it and we're trying to think of how we would get the hell out of here with all this extra information that she doesn't yes. have right. yeah so i think i think it's kind of a fair first reaction to say that you know why the fuck did you go back in there but it's 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 not one that stands up to any scrutiny at all no it's like you can't even treat it like I know some people be like this is a plot hole it's not it's mm-hmm. just, we know more because it's kind of shot honestly in a way third person omniscient right. the re- like uh, the reader the viewer the audience knows more than the characters do <laughs> and yeah, right. uh, and because they use so much, you know, handheld and steady cam like for mm-hmm. scenes that aren't just the killer's POV yeah we're placed in that situation from the start. Yeah. Yeah. We, we actually know more, uh, more from the killer's point of view than we do Jess's point of view. Right. And, um, or the house's point of view. The house's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, Cause that's uh, a character of itself. In this. Yeah. Yeah. The only, actually, yeah. The only time we ever leave 
those two narratives is for is we see two scenes of Peter mm-hmm. him playing the piano and then destroying the piano. Right. Uh, oh, and then he he has the little cry outside the house in the mm-hmm. cold too. Yeah. Uh, and then we see a couple, a little bit of Lieutenant Fuller going on and doing mm-hmm. some stuff. But for the most part, the entire film is basically either following the killer or following Jess. Yeah. And uh, which leads to that in- inexorable collision between the two. Um, let's talk about Billy, if that is in fact his real name. Um, originally written to be... Uh, is a, the whole script was based around was originally based on the whole babysitter thing, the babysitter urban legend. Yeah. Uh, originally called Stop Me, uh, was <laughs> the original title of the script. Um, Bob Clark then uh changed some stuff in the screenplay. Uh, the original screenwriter, I guess, wasn't happy until he saw the film. Then he <laughs> said, Oh, okay, you made it better. Uh, fantastic. Um, but uh, there is no information as to who Billy is in the original script uh all of that apparently was made up by bob clark which yeah. is and even then you can't understand half of it uh this is i think was the first time i ever watched it with subtitles this be- mm-hmm. rest time there's so much information there right um yeah. that you wouldn't yeah. notice unless you watch it with subtitles where he is literally talking uh kind of telling you a narrative that we know mm-hmm. that there was something happened with a baby mm-hmm. you know there's something happened with agnes what happened with right. agnes Right. Um, my theory is that he had sex with Agnes when he wasn't supposed to, it was his sister mm-hmm. and then he killed a baby. Um, right. but, uh, and apparently a lot of that backstory was, uh, used for the 2006 backstory, right. um, which Bob Clark volunteered to the new screenwriter for that film. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then they took that script and, and threw it in the trash for 2000. Right. Um, but, wow. uh, I think Jamie is actually a fan of 2019. I haven't seen 2019, but I'll say the the 2006 one they threw into the trash as well, but in a different way. <laughs> that movie's pretty I don't want to get I don't want to get too off on the remake. Yeah, but, uh, right. but yeah, I watched the 2019 the other night. It it didn't go well for me. Mm-hmm. Jamie, you are a fan of that, aren't you? Yeah, and I think it's interesting is that so many people have so many different opinions on 2019 because yeah. I thought I thought to myself 1974 would be so would be the same way if it came out today mm-hmm. it would totally. I, I think that I honestly think that if anything we can agree that it honored the fact that the, 1974 would be just as upsetting mm-hmm as if it were released today, people would, there would be, oh, this is a man-hating narrative. They hate Peter. And I'm like, well, we're, all, it's like, I don't know anybody, regardless of gender, sexuality, anything that's not going into that, thinking Peter is the biggest asshole alive. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And even Bob Clark, you know, had it well, you know, very much in the forefront of his mind when he was making it, that, it, you know, this is, you know, a, about you know, gender roles and, you know, um, the feminism in, in a lot of ways. He said he um, knew, and it was, he, knew, he said he knew it was there. Uh, right. It wasn't, but it wasn't something he was intentionally projecting. Well, he wasn't writing it, you know, specifically only for that, but it was definitely a facet that he there. And then, you know, it's a, it's a very shocking film by 74 standards, just language alone. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. There is, I mean, uh, I'm trying. It, I'm trying to go pull a quote for for the trading card for this this episode, and I'm like, I can't use hardly any of these lines <laughs> because 
Um, I would. Uh, I might recommend uh, uh, having a wart removed. Would be a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but yeah, you're right. Bill, most of Billy's dialogue is probably the most iconic in the film, and we we get we're not going to say that word. But uh, even Margot Kidder, I mean, you know, she's hilarious and awesome. Yeah. But like, she's she's too foul even for me uh, in a lot of <laughs> ways. Um, and then you have, of course, you know, there's the whole abortion subplot, which you know is is like a live wire at any point in modern history for um, some reason especially then it's i mean it shouldn't be but it is no. yeah I mean, I mean, we're still having this discussion today on yeah, yeah we're about we we're about to lose the lose, well not we as don't, me because don't, i don't give a shit don't we're say about, it yeah don't say you it. know what's probably happening it's not happening yet right. hold out don't some hope us. don't jinx us <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's all i have to say but don't i mean in 1974 like you know People Hope are going blue. to see a horror movie. People are see, going to see a horror movie, and there's all of a sudden, like you know, this like really realistic and you know, uh, genuine, but no holds barred discussion of 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 abortion on top of this. And not only the discussion of abortion, but a woman who is uh, defiantly right. Hey, I'm having yeah. one. But yeah. when he says, "No, you're not," she says, "No, I am. You go right. to hell." Yeah. and when he's like no we're gonna get married and she's like i don't want to marry you it's one of my, it's my favorite bit she she does she tries to let him down easy and tries to give him actual logical reasons and then eventually she says i have to tell you i don't want to marry you right and she like, got the the best you know one of the best arguments you know for that that i've seen in a movie because she's like Remember all those things we talked about how we wanted to do? Like, I want to still do those things. Yeah. That's one of that's one of my you favorite know? parts of the entire movie because she she really highlights that, you know, even if they did marry and have this child, his life wouldn't be changed like hers no. would be because he could still go out outside the home. Yeah. But it, she would be more limited because again gender roles and stuff yeah, you, you still have the baby to you know yeah. i don't want to say i don't want to say work around because that feels wrong but i mean it is i mean you know she's still in college you know she's still trying to make a career like it's going to be that much harder you know if she has a baby as well to to do those things it's, yeah, it's she, doable but it's not easy you know yeah. from what i've heard yeah she doesn't have she Jess is just she's very very put together and I mm. I really love that about her is you can tell that she's thought everything over weighed her own mm-hmm. opinions and options and thoughts and she's just she's just so deliberate in how she talks and how she just moves through the entire film and I I love that about her because there's not a time where she wavers at all. No, I, I, and that goes to the you know, how strong the cast in this is because yeah. I can't think of a better person to play that character than Olivia Hussey. I mean, oh. like she just exudes that kind of you know. And then to go get the, personality, uh, and then we got Claude Julia, yeah, who yeah. Uh, you know from 2001 Space Odyssey. Right. Like he's kind of a big star. He had a uh, one week yeah. to film this uh, film this movie. <laughs> And then and you know, they Mar- talked him Margo into it Kidder. because Olivia Hussey was in it. And he right. was like, okay, I'll do it. Olivia Hussey's in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Margot Kidder, who else could you get to play that character other than Margot Kidder who's going to do it exactly. better? Exactly. She's. Yeah. It's just, I, I can't think of. It's like one of those films where you could not, you wouldn't go and change any actor. No. Period. It's just everybody fits 
so well. And I just honestly, I couldn't imagine receiving that screenplay and being like, well, are you interested in this? Because it would just be an automatic yes. Yeah. Because it's so strongly written. And I think that it goes to show that, you know, if you have a good screenplay, if you have good characters, if you have a good story, actors are going to want to be in it. Yeah. Yeah. Even though, even though Olivia Hussey just did it because her psychic told her to. Yeah. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah. Olivia Hussey uh, made a lot of career decisions based around uh, a Hollywood psychic. Yeah, but told her to go me, make a what, Canadian film. Tell me, was that psychic wrong? No. no. Well, well <laughs> yeah. Not here. Kind of. So told her that it would make a ton of money. Well, that's true. Uh, it didn't quite do that. Um but it did uh, it did help it, it did propel olivia hussey into more of a mainstream idea yeah. um she of course had been the uh kind of the juliet prior right. to that mm-hmm. if not if not still the for my money still but yeah yeah um but yeah she was uh she was uh, uh quite a get for them they they i don't think they really thought she would do it um yeah. but she did it because her psychic told her to which apparently michael kidder gave her a really hard time about um <laughs> and uh that's michael kidder's a shit kicker i love her uh and then, anyway yeah and then michael kidder only did it um because it was so outlandish for right. her like they were like you know when she said uh she read the script and said i want that that barb part because it's mm-hmm. so it's so raw that yeah. i want to do it um and uh, uh, I used to make the joke. I feel kind of bad about it now, but I used to make the joke of like every single scene she's in. I'm like, there's Margot Kidder not acting. Um, uh, but apparently she wasn't. She was actually was drinking uh, um, on set. She was uh, she was half drunk doing which, the lines. Which makes me wonder now, was she really giving that kid some alcohol in that one scene? <laughs> it's, it's Canada. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, if Lawrence um, Olivier could show up to set every day drunk, you know, so she still can she, you know, that little kid too, man. Yeah. Uh, little, little Lawrence, little Lawrence yeah. Olivier. Uh, or, or, or Dickie Burton can show up drunk every day for the exorcist too. You know, let's, uh, why not? Richard Burton. <laughs> um, yeah. Were there any alcoholics in the Batman returns cast? Cause then we would be on a roll. I, I, I can't think of any. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alfred Go wouldn't have lasted as long as he did if he was an alcoholic. That's the, the only one I could think of. Michael Go, yeah, sorry, yeah, who yeah. played Alfred, um, right? But no, um, but yeah, My, uh, Michael Michael Pettyworth. Yeah, I don't want to make light of Margaret Kidder's uh, uh, no. uh, battles with addiction, but uh, um, because uh, she really was a wonderful actor. Um, and this movie is one of her best performances. This and right. Lois Lane for me. Um, I don't know if she would get Lois Lane if she didn't. If she hadn't have done this, to be honest. Like, because right. shows an acerbic side to her acting that you know wasn't really seen that much before that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yes, she has some of the best dialogue in this whole movie. She does. Yeah. yeah. Um, not only not only because it's funny, she does have those, but she also has that wonderful. Um, she's telling, she's talking, uh, interrupting, um, uh, the dad, Claire's dad, um, and, uh, who's like distraught over like right. trying to figure out what to do. I was talking about the tortoises that have sex for days. And then she's like, I didn't watch for the whole three days though. Right. I, to see I got bored. They take 30 seconds and she's laughing and right. Phyllis and, and Mrs. Mack are both a little bit amused, um, at that point until she then has that wonderful, uh, monologue about how uh, everybody blames her right. for Claire being missing. 
Um, and it works so well because you realize that not, she says you all been insinuating it all day and we've been watching the same movie. Like they have not been right. No one is, but it also, it also makes, you know, her, her, the stuff she's doing beforehand makes sense. Cause she's trying to like push everybody away get everybody against her, get this guy mad at her because she feels like she deserves it. Yes. Um, and which is why she starts going to this, you know, just like disgusting story. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if you've actually seen turtles at the zoo do it. I have, and it's, it's. She describes it well. Um, yeah. The sound effects at all. Uh, your kafunk. It's so weird. Um, somebody had to go and actually watch the turtles do it to write that. Is my point. Um, huh. it, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go to the zoo to watch something do it, I'm gonna watch the monkeys do it because it's funnier. But, Jamie, you know, in your uh, screenwriting uh, perform uh, screenwriting career, have you uh, have you watched any animals have sex at the zoo for research yet? Or not yet. Not yet. Screenwriting is wild, so I mean, yeah. you can't rule anything out. <laughs> there you go. It was the same zoo trip. We also saw a camel give the other camel uh, a new exchange. So, oh my god! So, it was a weird day at the zoo that time. I don't know how kids, how, how parents do do it, where they have to take their kids away from every exhibit because they're all. Oh my god! Because you you don't. It. You don't want to explain the birds right. and the babies yet, and you're just like, "What are they doing?" Nothing. Right. <laughs> Not a... What What are they doing? The turtles are stuck. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a wonderful monologue. Um, outside of the animal uh, animal sex uh, uh, commentary, um, but yeah, I mean, she's projecting this this guilt of um, you know because uh, the last she's the right before Claire actually does die. Barb is mean to her. Yeah. Um, and and you get to the and Barb wasn't mean to her. We see that progression because at the end, the one of the first characters we see is Barb gets the phone call. Yes. Her mom is like, Christmas, what? Um, I'm gonna go with my boyfriend and you do whatever you need to do. And Barb obviously is hurt by this. And so when and so Barb goes and has another drink and uh and lashes out because she's upset. And in fact, actually, if you watch closely, uh, Barb goes in uh, and basically reaches out for help. She says to everybody, who wants to go skiing with me? And uh, Jess and, and Phil both uncomfortably, but still go like, sure, Barb, we'll go. And they're like, what about you, Claire? And Claire's like, oh, I'm busy. And so it hurts right. her feelings. Yeah, Claire just blew her off. So she decides to lash out. And then unfortunately, and here's, the, here's a lesson for everybody at home. Uh, don't be mean to people because they could get plastic wrap pulled around their head and right. put up in an attic somewhere. Um, but you don't want to be that person who feels that the last thing you said to somebody was awful. Right. Um, yeah. But so you get that whole thing. It's a wonderful character sketch when you realize that, you know, there's this progression of hurt for Barb, right? And she can't function. So when she, she hurts Claire and then Claire goes missing, she then decides to drink more and uh and be more of a pain in the ass and then as you said sam she wants people to blame her she right. wants she wants mr harrison to, to hate her because she thinks she deserves it it's yeah. such it's such depth to uh and, and for what is almost essentially like you know a throwaway kind of comedic scene if somebody else would have written it you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of this movie that uh this is another thing like i was talking about with claire running the thing running uh so much of this uh narrative like um Mr. Harrison, that character in any other movie, right, wouldn't be there. 
like you would be like, well, check it into a hotel. I'm out for the rest of the narrative. He's yeah. there around the fringes of the film doing things like you would never in a modern slasher film. You'd never have a parental figure that was useful. No, you know, no. yeah. <laughs> Or caring, um, or, or caring, know. yeah. Right. Uh, and even him is given depth. I mean, his our first appearances with him, he's kind of a prick. Yeah. And then when his and then when his daughter's missing, he actually is like he sticks around. Right. Yeah. He's, he's with and he seems to show girls. concern for the other girls too, yeah. you know, which is not well, something it, what I've written there. He has a wonderful bit when Barb has that. He's a wonderful. Uh, I think Sam Raimi used to call it the Shemp, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is in the middle of a dialogue. Uh, you cut to somebody else reacting. Right. Uh, that actor, plays Mr. Harrison, does a wonderful job with Barb's speech, where he is both aghast and horrified at her, but also sympathetic. Yeah, like you poor kid, because yeah, he's having a hard. Help. You're having a hard time, aren't you? Like, yeah, I'm a father. I get it. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, he's such a uh, such an expressive character with very little to very little dialogue. Yeah. Um, but he's just wonderful. Uh, that's why I was so excited when Jamie told me I could do him and. Um, nash for her script read i was like mr harrison right yeah it's like four lines of dialogue but he's like my favorite character um, because he has like it's what my acting teacher used to call the business where you have all yeah. this wonderful just little stuff that right. just makes the character so full and so round and he, yeah. he does that beautifully like everybody is so good at that like mm-hmm. all the little stuff in this movie and it's amazing to just watch and experience every yeah. every time you just pick up on some new little nuance and it's yeah. it's so they, fun. they even had to take the time to have a whole little sitcom between you know him and mrs mac yeah which is, which is just, just a, so much fun and bring yeah and bring so much about their characters up you right know, uh, where he's stuffy and she's not you know and she's uh giving him the finger when he's back turned <laughs> right and she's the covering, up the, covering, covering up, up the, the sex poster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just like, her. yeah she's great. She's it's a, I mean, I, a, it makes me she laugh. She left the story time. just in time, but she's amazing yeah. in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She makes me laugh every time when he's uh looking at the poster of the old <laughs> right. and it gets to the end and she's giving him the finger and then he looks at Mrs. Mack and she does like the one most the best comic take of just a slow smile, mm-hmm. like of her being like, What are you gonna do? Uh, yeah, right. You know, college kids am i right and he's just yep. like aghast um and it, you're right it's like a sitcom like yeah. he's the straight man she's playing vaudeville i mean right. they even joke about that you're like here's the queen of yeah. vaudeville <laughs> yeah. um you know she's a but she's a deeply funny character mm-hmm. um and we don't and get she's much- harried and she's harried and she's kind of like you know acerbic but it's not to the point where she like you know doesn't like the the kids she cares about the kids but she's like god damn they put me through the ringer every day you <laughs> know and they love her. Right. Yeah. Like like Jamie have, said, so much of this narrative is based around the idea that these are a bunch of people who actually do yeah. love each other. It could have been so easily written or played to the point where like she doesn't like them because they're a pain in the ass or they kind of are mocking her or whatever. But it's played just like the just haunting of sorority straight. row. You know, yeah. right. original haunting of sorority row where the house mother hates them and they right. like her. Um you know, no, this is uh, Mrs. Mack is clearly a, a, a beloved figure in their yeah. lives and is clearly a, a good house mother. She I mean, she's probably drunk most of the time, but that makes her pretty easy going. Yeah, uh, I, I do like how she's like, like, you know, that all the people, all the people in the house know she drinks. There's no way they there's know. no way those kids <laughs> but they, all they, they all know well enough to just to like, just let just leave it. She's college. Yeah. College students didn't find all those all that liquor. Right. smell liquor. 
like they just it's like a like a bloodhound they would just yeah. find it but she could smell like little like smell waves coming off a cartoon pie you know and they just kind of float into the room after but you know her. she drinks trash like she knows right. she's drinking really terrible liquor and like so the kids don't want it you know right uh, but uh yeah she's a, she's a wonderful character and i think you're right she does get she does get removed from the narrative just in time i think if she were to stick around any longer it would get it would wear out a welcome mm-hmm. right and she gets a good death too yeah it's a good kill um although i'm not sure why there's that hook in there in the first place because the only way to get up to the attic is that ladder you have to have a way to get stuff into the attic oh really Okay. Yeah, because you I can't don't know that much climb the ladder. You can't climb the ladder and carry things up at the same time. It doesn't. It's it's you hook it. You hook it to the thing, and if you, there's a pulley, so you pull it, pull the cord, and it goes up into the attic. Then you go up the ladder, oh. and take it off. That makes sense. I guess I didn't know that about houses. Weird. Well, I've never it? I've never been in a house that has that setup, but it, yeah, I thought about it when I was watching this time. Like, oh, because I used to be like, yeah, the same thing. Like, why is there a hook up there? Like, wait, that's how you get things into the attic. Oh, okay. In an old house. In an old house. Okay. I'll buy that. Jamie, you buy that? Like, yeah. 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 I would. Okay. Now I'm just like now I'm like, do I need to go look in my attic and see if there's, there's a hook? Is there just a ladder or is it like this little stair set that comes out? I can't I have never been in my attic. So oh, now well, like, am I gonna have to go inside my well, attic? I I wouldn't go today. I'd maybe wait till January yeah. Christmas is over. And then, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> like, uh, this is a this is an older house, so I'm like, like oh, I wonder. <laughs> See, my house, the attic just has like a it has a staircase. Like, mm-hmm. there's a door going off the bathroom for some reason to the attic. Okay, which well, makes the attic kind of useless as as an extra room because then you have to like knock on the door before you come out of that room because right. there's a bathroom on the other side. So it would just be so it's just storage, really. Yeah. 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 I don't have an attic at all. I don't believe here this house. I just uh, we just have a pretty big basement. So. No hooks. Um, nope. No. God. Well, if there's hooks in the basement, they're definitely for something else. Yeah. 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 That's some. That's some Hellraiser shit. That's some, <laughs> right. That's another. There's movie. a Leatherface or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't. I, maybe I'll install some. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah. Uh, so hooks, ladies and gentlemen, the hook yeah. sketch. Um, <laughs> Superman. Um, but uh, but yeah, so before we got sidetracked on hooks, uh, where were we? Um, we haven't talked about Phil yet. The, no. the wonderful Andrea Mart. Um, originally, the role was, was going to go to um, uh, Yilda Radner. And she dropped out. If he had something, I don't uh, yeah, show yeah. nobody's ever. She has something oh. no show that oh. nobody's ever heard of. She had to go do. Yeah, she had. Uh, she had to go do uh, uh, something on Saturday nights. I think some yeah. show didn't last long. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, with some guy named Marie Williams or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, it was. Uh, she yeah. was supposed to do it, and then at the last minute, she dropped out. And they found Andrea Martin, um, uh, who then, of course, came back for the casting gag in in two thousand. Uh, and did a wonderful job with that, by the way. Um, she, I just watched it again last night. She actually, uh, and I loved Andrea Martin in that movie. Um, I kind of love everybody in uh, that version of Black Christmas, despite the fact that the movie's not that good. Yeah. Um, almost everybody in that movie is just is is let down by that material, I think. But because, um, uh, 
I was noticing that, like actually literally watching it like, okay, Michelle Trachenberg just got killed. That character deserves so much better. Um, like everybody deserves so much better. Um, but uh, Andrew Martin's wonderful in that. She's wonderful in this. I think Phil um, is absolutely invaluable to this uh, film. And I think you could easily overlook her if you weren't paying attention. Um, she has some wonderful moments of that. We get the impression that in some ways, like, if you wanted to talk about like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman as like the Trinity, uh, you know, the icons, uh, I feel like that there's something to the idea of uh, Jess, Phil and Barb are yeah. like this three, this three pack. Um, and Phil would be the one that seems to be would it, that seems to be the least important, but probably is the most important. Like she's yeah. the glue that keeps this three, these people together. Um and she has this, uh, just this wonderful, uh, I wish we got more of her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, he has a great moment right. of the ho, ho, ho shit. <laughs> um, which there's, there's your card. You could do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's the playing card, uh, uh, trading card thing, but, uh, but yeah, we get the, we, we are shown that she's dating this guy, but we don't know much about her elsewise. Uh, otherwise, except that she's clearly willing to just to do what will make, jess and barb happy like she's definitely supporting them in, a, yeah. in an emotional way um to the point where she blows off her boyfriend she had plans with him and she's like nope going skiing with barb sorry you know um which is wonderful she's very present that's yeah. the thing about her she's a character that's you know she's there a lot of if it again if this were any other movie she would have fallen to the background but she's very present and yes. they may and andrea martin and her performance is very present and one thing that i i love is they do inject a little bit of her opinions what she thinks she's very much an observer like she, it, her telling um one thing that really stuck out to me on this watch was her telling Jess yeah I don't like Peter but I don't think he would he's killing these yeah. people she's not his biggest fan either and you're like you're just sitting there and you're like you wonder what what he did to make Phil who just seems so agreeable not like him he wasn't because, nice to Jess I yeah. think that's probably pretty clear uh yeah she, someone has to hate him but I know, but yeah. you wonder what the inciting incident that yeah. made her just be like, mm, I hate him <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> it's like, Ooh, there's some, it's like, there's some backstory baked into that. Yeah. And I, I, I love that this movie just kind of revels in stuff like that. It, and it, but, it, yeah. And in that same conversation, Jess even kind of makes some excuses that sound like old excuses. Yeah. Oh, he's an artist. He's very sensitive and feels like, yeah, okay. Like actually what you mean is he's a dick. Um, yeah. You know, uh, he's a pretentious twat who, uh, yeah. who wants to control your life. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, she's just, it's a, she's a wonderful character. And I agree with you. That's it, one of the best moments is not only does she not like it, but also when Jess realizes that, you know, that Peter is probably innocent of killing people, not innocent right. in general. Um, Phil is actually really elated for her, yeah. not for Peter, but for her, for Jess. Yeah. Which is like, oh, I'm glad he's not the guy. Um, 
but yeah, it's it, uh, Andrew Martin brings so much to the role. I loved. Um, there's a, a, another great example of a comedy a comedy scene that turns uh, dramatic when the two guy the two bumpkins show up. Yes, and they're mm-hmm. kind of laughing, and and Phyllis actually like has that wonderful like you know like you seen anything creepy around tonight? You're like not until you showed up, and Jess is like <laughs> Phil, Phil, you're supposed to be the nice one. Um, <laughs> And Phil laughs and laughs it off. And then when the, they leave, she bur- she breaks down, realizes she's like, I know Claire's dad. And Jess is like, we don't know that yet. Um, it's just that uh, that moment of, uh, you know, Phil has been and then Phil asks if it's OK if she goes and gets some sleep because she's exhausted uh, emotionally. And Jess is like, yeah, it's fine. But um, it's it's a wonderful moment that's again, seems very real, like a real thing a person would react to. Like I've been. I've been holding this together all day and now I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm tapped out. Um, and are you okay if I walk away from this uh, for the moment? And it's, it's, it's lovely. It's a really lovely, uh, lovely bit. It, it is because I, there's Phil. She's, she's setting healthy boundaries for herself too. She's, she's literally like, yeah, I've got to put this away for now because you know they're under such a unbelievable amount of stress in this movie and you know it's the end of this like me being teaching college and being at the end of the semester I couldn't imagine being at the end of the semester and having to deal with this yeah as a student so god just yeah it's just a perfectly beautifully human moment very much so yeah so yeah let's uh, so i've i've read a criticism online let's we'll switch gears a little bit to peter um we haven't we've alluded to we haven't really talked about him just yet um played by care julia um he uh i've read one comment that i'm kind of get where it's coming from and i was going to run it by you too uh <laughs> which was somebody saying that maybe jess should have waited to tell peter until the next day um and uh, the problem with the comment in my mind is it seems like it's it's sticking up for Peter. I mean, a man almost right. certainly wrote the comment. Um, right. The only thing I could think of, though, is I was like, well, technically, though, at the same time, Jess is clearly aware that this conversation is going to go well. Um, yeah. And knowing that he is, you know, as a sensitive, mm-hmm. um, why she told him right before his big recital thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's over, and not, and I don't mean because I think the comment was meant to be well. She tells him right before the recital thing. I think the comment was meant to be she's kind of a bitch. And I went, no, I, that's no, not- no, no. However, I, I'm thinking I mean, about it, could- it in the perception of you know this conversation is going to go badly, right? Uh, why wouldn't you wait till after he was finished that, and maybe mm-hmm. in a good mood to right. have that conversation if he had done well? Um, well, I I don't think. First of all, I don't think he would have been in a good mood after the recital either way because he seemed like the type of guy who like i I don't i don't understand the music he was doing um i don't get that kind of avant-garde you know piano playing uh, personally but uh, i don't think he was doing a a terrible job but he was definitely like feeling like he was yeah um and taking it too hard in the moment like yeah the person who made that comment was probably like trying to say that she was a bitch for doing it that's that's not no, um, my my personal opinion is 
you know, that, yeah, if you're in a, rela- a serious relationship with somebody, you need to take their reaction to things you say and do into your mathematics mm-hmm. um, and, and try to try to give them bad news the best way possible. That's that's certainly one of your responsibilities in a relationship. But at the end of the day, this is, you know, her saying that she's decided that she's going to get an abortion. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, it's her decision. It's, it should be her decision on how to best say it. Um, mm-hmm. And she probably figured she was out of time already. Because um, mm-hmm. after the recital that it's, you know, oh, we got this to do for Christmas and that to do for Christmas. And, you know, it, it's kind of a no-win scenario, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so close to the holidays. Like, I don't have to tell anybody in the world, like, how any bit of bad news is, like, made 17 times worse because, you know, it's so close to the holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you're already stressed and, you know, something bad happens and it just feels like the worst thing ever. Um, and for him, her decision is, is a bad thing that happened, at least in that moment. Mm-hmm. We don't know if he could have come around later or and realized that he was being an asshole. I mean, people do do stupid things and say dickish things and be assholes. Later, I go, shit, I was really an asshole just right then. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Not making excuses for him, but I, I could I could see where it's a discussion to have. But at the end of the day, this is a movie. It's not a real character. Um, they wrote it this way for a reason, yeah. and that reason was to make you think that maybe he was the killer. Right. True. What do you think, Jamie? Um, I, when she goes to tell him, it seems like he kind of goaded her into finally admitting it. It seems like she might have wanted to have delayed it uh, a little bit, but she, she didn't want to tell him, period. And honestly, that also makes me think that he might have goaded her a little bit into like, I know something's wrong. You need to tell me sort of thing. Like, he feels very entitled to her as a person and whatever she knows. And honestly, I wish she had never told him, but because here's the thing, um, there with some, with certain viewers, Jess is never going to win regardless of how well or how bad things go, because it's like, and you would have to understand that's, such a difficult situation to be in for her um like yeah yeah he's got his piano stuff but she's dealing with a lot too so it's it just seems like almost weirdly selfish to kind of write off the fact that she's making a huge decision herself um so I just I have a hard time sympathizing with Peter period because again we have so much context uh clues that are sprinkled throughout the movie that he's not the best to begin with and you kind of have to ask yourself yeah why he's not written to be a good guy I mean he's not I mean yeah yeah and it's like it's almost like you know the pregnancy kind of woke Jess up to that. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is not the kind of guy I should be with. And, you know, that's understandable because she's yeah. still super young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's not forget that this is, I don't know what any of the other ones are studying in college, but um, 
this is a, a kid that obviously comes from wealth going to college. He's a college student. He's taking, you know, piano uh, for art. So like you can tell he's kind of in a situation where he never had to worry about money and he probably never will. Um, I don't, well, I don't know. He might six not, he, six huh? years in the conservatory. Uh, right. He, I mean, yeah, he, he, he might be on a scholarship, but this is uh, true. But I'm saying, but, I, yeah. I, I feel like this is maybe his first time actually dealing with real, real world situations like this. It, and he just might not know how to react, you know, he's certainly also bad news. Yeah. He certainly also, I mean, it takes him one setback to smash the piano with a stool and mm-hmm. say I'm quitting the conservatory. Well, too, um, because there is this, there is the thing about the abortion as well. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's willing to throw away six years of work on right. a whim. Is what right. I'm that's that's what I'm thinking. You know, maybe he hasn't he hasn't had to deal with things before, and this is his childish, you know, petulant way of dealing with it for the first yeah. time. Um, well, I love, yeah, I love that we after the conversation after he runs into um, Fuller, and then we see him, they cut away to him like outside, like crying. Right. Uh, like and I was, I'm always wondering, I'm like, why if, if that scene is, but I think, I mean, obviously that Stan pointed out, like it, we're supposed to think he might be the killer. Right. Yeah. So his, his little, his emotional breakdowns are more meant to, to signify that he could be the guy on the other end of the phone shouting weird yeah. emotional nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. His crying is showing that, you know, because you can't show a man cry, obviously, especially not in 1974, <laughs> 1974. without, without going, yeah. well, this man is, this man has lost his goddamn Something's mind. wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, um, nobody shot his dog. So I don't know what he's, what's, what's the matter. <laughs> right. And then, you know, the, the other time is like you said, after the, after the, the fight you know the midterm or the final or whatever like you know he goes back in there and wrecks up the place like a like a complete lunatic i mean that's that part makes me cringe so hard not just because of just the the petulant anger there i'm just sitting there and i'm like that is so expensive you are going to jail no matter if you're the killer or not at this yeah (laughs) the school is going to have your ass yes right (laughs) yeah I took a, I was my, my very first semester of college when I was when I was 19, I was doing a, 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 a TV and a video production at a mm-hmm. community college. And uh, there uh, I'm I'm five foot four on a good day. And uh, they were like, you're going to take this like like two thousand dollar camera to the top of this like 30 foot ladder and screw it onto the ceiling. And I'm like, have you met me? I'm like, right. no, I'm not doing that at all. Um, because I'm like, I, I'm not going to be responsible for fumbling a $2,000 camera and watching it shatter to the floor. Right. Um, no, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fat kid who's five foot four. Like, what do you expect me to do right now? Um, but, uh, you know, have me, have me put it under something, not on top of something. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. If you want me to like, you know, to like place it carefully in a, in like a, a suitcase, like, (laughs) um, you know, uh, you know, carry it across the room and then like gently put it down like that would right. be fine. Um, but, but yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, uh, damaging school equipment. Yeah. Um, surefire way to get in some serious trouble um, because oftentimes school equipment and that's a that was a beautiful classical piano. Um, you know, well, it was meant to be. Yeah. Tens of thousands of dollars more than likely. Um, and he just smashed it with stool. I mean, and, and in actuality, it from, probably they found uh, it behind a dumpster somewhere, you know. <laughs> but in, yeah. in in the story, yes. Oh, the real, yeah. Well, yeah, they yeah. Were actually like probably just it was a set, probably a creation. Like they had no uh, no guts inside of it. I th- I think it was. I think 
I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it was an actual piano, but it was like, you know, a junk one they found in a thrift shop or some shit, um, you know? Yeah. I hope so, because with that entire scene, I'm Well, that would have been the whole budget right there if they would have got a good piano. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Don Coscarelli blowing yeah, up was, uh, was, blowing up a, uh, uh, what was the car called in Phantasm 2? The, the uh, Barracuda. The Barracuda. Uh, they, yeah, they made uh, they made like like two hundred of those and right. they, like blew one up for his movie. Um, but yeah, and then that, he wonders uh, why Universal didn't want to come back and do more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It been great if Bob Clark was like, yeah, I got this really great like piano from the uh, you know. It was a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, it was a quarter of a million dollars, have, and I just I had still have half the budget left. Smash it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cara Julia just smashed it for uh, for a take. Um, right. But um, yeah, and then it's... we realized the camera wasn't even running. Yeah, and Bob Clark never worked in this town again. <laughs> um, but yeah, Bob Clark would, of course, go on to do a Christmas story, right? Yeah, uh, the other most famous Christmas movie. Uh, I guess probably the most famous Christmas movie if you're not a horror film fan. Yeah, um, otherwise, I think it's probably Black Christmas. Is your most, no, I, I think it's probably still the most famous. Um, outside of that, yeah, it seems to be every year a toss up between uh. That and uh, National Lampoons uh, around here, mm-hmm. which is the which is the one people talk about the most. But then again, I live in Cleveland, home of the famous Toys Christmas Story House, and you have to hear about it from like October till March every year about how they shot like six external shots of the movie in Cleveland, and isn't this great? And there's 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 a 5K race every year, and we everybody gets a little leg lamp medallion. And I'm sorry, this is turning into my therapy session again. I'm sorry. you're like, look what Bob Clark did to me. <laughs> I don't even. I, uh, I I don't I don't like a Christmas story. Um, I like it, but I have a relationship with it because of the fact that nobody in this town will ever <laughs> shut the fuck up about it. And Jen feels the same way, except she doesn't like the movie either. Uh, uh, so it's even worse. Yeah, I find it very. I find it kind of dull. But um, it's dull. It's schmaltzy. It's yeah. got that kind of weird nostalgia grossness to it that always kind of I like it, but at the same time I feel kind of dirty for nostalgic films. Always feel like they're cheap to me, you know. Hmm. Fair enough. So, so we'll, how about the uh, last round of, uh, of, of conversation, then we'll do some final thoughts and we'll wrap this up. Um, uh, just a generalized question. What do you guys think is the scariest moment in this film? Because for me, it's, uh, it's Barb, Barb on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that rambling, uh, you know, let me lick your pretty C word. Uh, this really oddly, very, very overtly sexual bit. Uh, right. It's the camera pans around the room at the the frightened faces of all the young women and then barb is like you know doing comedy bits being like you know oh shove your tongue in a wall suck that'll give you a charge and -hmm. then it just cuts to i'm going to kill you right he hangs up every time i get chills when he says i'm going to kill you and it's the only thing he says in in a regular voice ever in the whole movie Mm -hmm. um it to me it's absolutely chilling um that to me is the scariest moment in the whole film what about you guys well, for me, uh, always what gets me is when he kills Barb with her own little crystal uh, unicorn and it's intercut with Jess just actually genuinely like happy watching these kids like she's having this wonderful little reprieve 
and then you have it intercut with that and it's chilling the tonal shifts the just the dissonance between those two different scenes is just disturbing yeah, oh. definitely i agree it's a and, and you're right it's a it, it's it's both a very moving scene and a very very horrific scene um yeah. also in the sense that when you consider that crystal and uh unicorns are both symbols of purity yeah um usually narratively that um for him to it's for it also tells us something about barb that she has it that right. down inside barb is, is just this kind of like this sort of sad little girl who really wanted to be something um and then uh right. you know she um uh, and there's an innocence to barb deep down inside um you know as we talked about the heart of gold that's deep down in, in barb right um but yeah for him to turn that on her is, and yeah, definitely Bob Clark was aware of that when he made it. Of course it, he was. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not going to pass that up. He's stabbing her with the unicorn horn. That's uh, yeah. And then that writes itself, people. Intercutting yeah. it with, with small children singing adorably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as it's done, we've got the teacher running up, going, "Get everybody in the car." Yeah. Little girl, with, yeah. you know, kid was murdered. But right. Uh, but what about you, Sam? What's uh, what's uh, what for you? What's the scariest bit? Uh, um, scary movie. First, I did want to say that I think the part with the telephone at the beginning is, like you pointed out, the part where he just says it in a normal voice was pretty frightening because it's like dealing with a troll online, and then you realize that like they like actually like might kill you. But yeah, they, they <laughs> live down the street. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, for me, it's it's the ending um, when when she does get the call to get out of the house and how it escalates from there. Usually for me at the ending of a slasher film is like it's either like a victory lap or just like they're trying to just roll it out for five, 10 more minutes and it's just kind of doesn't feel like it has any more escalation to go at that point but i feel like in this one um when she gets the call to get out of the house and she kind of goes upstairs and she sees what's happening and, and he finally presents himself and chases her down into the basement that's like terrifying to me because just because of how unhinged he is like he's just like screaming at the top of his lungs you know doing his daffy duck uh going crazy thing but he's also like running top speed like a lunatic at her just throwing his whole body against the door and you really do feel like he's capable of anything at that point and it's to me the way that the way that he's so loud so vulgar so over the top emotional um is so much different than what came after with, with like, you know, Jason and Michael Myers and mm-hmm. Leather. Well, Leatherface was kind of kind of there as well, but a tuned down version. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're scary because you don't understand them and they're, you know, they seem to have no response to anything, but it's scary to have somebody who's completely unhinged coming at you so violently that you like, you know, like they could break both of their arms completely off knocking on that door and it would not stop them they're still going to come after you uh, it's just no thank you yeah no thank you um yeah. that's that's for me no. although i do think i do think having uh the jackass show up at the end was a little much um i don't know how i would have ended that scene yeah yeah well, yeah, I mean, and obviously, uh, this is another bit of trivia that most people probably already know is that um, originally an ending was shot where Chris, Claire's boyfriend, mm-hmm. turns out to be Billy. Right. Um, that uh, Claire's dad uh, faints, they drag him out, and then Chris walks back into the room when Jess wakes up, and the ending of the movie is him saying, 
uh, Agnes, don't tell mm-hmm. them what we did. Uh, but mm-hmm. Bob Clark hated it and uh, and got rid of it to make it uh, open ended. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. so ending instead with the the long uh, tracking shot up to the attic, we realize Billy's still up there. Right. Uh, and then the phone rings for the entirety. Billy don't check the scene. <laughs> yeah, they don't check the attic. Uh, right. I was watching it with Lori. She came in at the end when I was watching rewatching the film, and she was like, "What? Why do they leave Jess by herself?" Right. And I'm like, "Well, in fairness, they think they they think the killer's dead." Right. And they actually don't even know entirely uh, what happened yet. They think mm-hmm. Peter Peter killed Barb and Phil, uh, mm-hmm. and probably the girl in the park. They think he's right. closed, uh, and that she's going to be sedated. So there's no reason. And lawyer's like, "But you, if someone's sedated, you're supposed they're supposed to be observed 24 right. You take them to the goddamn um, hospital." And I went, "Fair point. You're yeah. right." Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's a little weird that she's left by herself. I guess. But uh, maybe that's how they did things in 1974. You know. Uh, <laughs> Because when we were watching The Exorcist, I felt the same way. Like Regan keeps having all these seizures, and they're still treating her at home. I'm like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah, she's not in a not in a cell somewhere. Yeah, or right. not in a, well, in a hospital room. Right. Yeah. Um, I just felt like the having him come in one last time to. I understand having the part where the cops think he's the killer. That makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. But when he came to the window and and like I don't know if it was just olivia hussey who was supposed to be scared at that point or if it was the audience that was supposed to think that he was still the killer but i'm like it's too late for this red herring this stop it yeah what yeah. do you think Kate? i would i i honestly have my theories here because it feels i do think that to an extent he probably did come that time because he meant harm to jess you think so? Yes, I do. I do. Um, it feels very, it feels different than the other times that he come to the house. Um, it just, it is so odd too. just, there's something about it that's odd to me. And I, that, that just kind of hits like something in the back of my mind. I'm like, this is not right. Mm -hmm. This is not safe. He yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, there's something there's something unsettling about Peter, and, and I always kind of thought I mean, I've I've since kind of dismissed this, I think, but I always wondered if if Peter had killed the girl in the park, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that Billy actually didn't do that one. Um, that uh, you know, uh, Peter it, Peter has committed a crime somewhere. Um, you know, we've get the you get the impression of there's a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, now that you say that, it hadn't occurred to me at the time. But yes, I think you're probably right. Caradulia plays something when he shows up that last uh, scene with the uh, I'm here to hurt you. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, that maybe this time he's going to because one of the points of a lot of her scenes with him are uh, they go right up to the point where you think he's going to slap her. Yeah. And then it pulls back. Right. Um, she tells him to leave and he, he thinks better of it rather than push it but you get the impression that he in most of those scenes he's one second away yeah. from yeah. from an act of violence towards her that now that you say that that yeah it, if you want to use that old kind of like the rule of three concept you know that twice now he's he's not hurt her you know this time i'm gonna hurt you i'm, I'm back i i've i've spent all this time away from the narrative getting angrier and angrier and angrier and now i'm gonna break into your house and cave your skull in and um 
but uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right. He plays something very aloof, very distracted when he walks in, when he says like, you know, are you okay? Is something wrong? You know, um, yeah, I think, he, really, like, I think he came around. here for a fight. Yeah. I yeah. think he definitely came here for a fight. Um, I just think that the, like, I feel like the movie was trying to tell us, trying to pull the red herring once again on us. And I'm like, that's just one time too many. Um, but yeah, I can totally see that he'd be there to have another argument slash, you know, get an excuse to punch her in the face. Um, yeah. For yeah. sure. I don't think his intentions were pure when he showed up. That's for no. Right. No. He came at the wrong damn time, though. <laughs> right? Yeah. He should have. Maybe he should have waited till tomorrow. So, so I guess yeah, that kind of begs the question: Did uh, did Billy save uh, save her life? Well, I don't think Billy killed him. Mm-hmm. I think she killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, although we don't know. You're right. Yeah. Um, all we do is that we they cut away to the cop showing up, and then we hear a screaming, and then they mm-hmm. come in and they find his body in her lap. Right. Um, with the, very much the insinuation that she beat him with a tire iron. Uh, yeah. which Go Jess. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, but you but could you, be right. Yeah. But I you never... make, it makes you wonder though what happened, what he did between the time, what we don't see. Right. Because honestly, you may, it makes you wonder if he didn't advance on her, as she. We definitely yeah. see him walking towards her. Yeah, with his arms outstretched, but he's he's using language that's almost as if he's trying to like hug her. Mm -hmm. But now you're at you're you're insinuating you're you're suggesting that maybe uh, there was an act of violence coming that you could be right on. Yeah, what he might have done was grab her by the throat. Yeah, uh, and that scream was pummeling him in the head with a tire iron rather than let him touch her. Yeah. Um, So I mean, but no, I think Sam, I think you've got a point in the sense of you know that but pulling him out does feel a little bit like cheating but at the same time it needed resolution oh yeah um, i that, just don't think they needed to play it in the way where like i would have played it more like instead of having it be like a misdirect during the part where you know she's about to have her final showdown with the killer um instead have you know wait until like uh, just a beat longer from when he stops like banging on the door to when you know he comes with the false sense of security and then cut to the last um yeah i always felt like having him as the as the red herring was a little it never really hit entirely for me he just felt like another threat uh not not oh this might be the killer mm-hmm. okay i think i could see that I, at least i could see where you're coming from right um yeah, I think, I mean, come to think of it, I think this, I, uh, I think I'm with you on that. I think my, my earlier viewings of the film, I don't think I ever really bought that Peter was actually the killer, that Peter right. and Billy were one and the same. Um, but at the same time, I'm not entirely certain we're meant to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're supposed to see that Jess is meant to. That's, Jess, that's yeah. my camp that I'm in, that yeah. I, don't, I don't think we were ever meant to believe that they were the same person. It's just almost a two sides of the same coin kind of thing they're right. all a threat to jess yeah well i know in some in some interviews bob clark has said that he meant it to be a red herring meant him yeah. to be a red herring um so it's at least intended that we're that uh, some of the audience is supposed to think that he could be the killer yeah um but he and he was very careful to make sure to build it in such a way where um if you watched it like closely you would really you'd know he was a red herring and not actually the killer but if you 
weren't watching as closely, you might think he's the killer until later. But when they show that he isn't, then you can say, oh, well, he was never actually, you know, doing X while Y was happening or whatever. Right. Right. Well, okay. That, that brings us up to the end. Uh, what, uh, start with you, Sam, and then we'll have to give Jamie the last word. Uh, final thoughts on Black Christmas, Sam? Um, you know, it's a, it's a classic for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a movie that I, I watch every Christmas, but it's I don't really have any movies I watch every Christmas other than Scrooged, and mm-hmm. that's about it. <laughs> um, but it's definitely like in the rotation. I try to switch it up every year. So every couple of years, I'll come back to this one, and it's it always works. It always hits right. It always... I never feel like I've seen it, you know, too many times before and I get bored and start playing on my phone or fall asleep or whatever. Mm-hmm. It always works. So check it out. Check yeah. it out for the hundredth time. Check it out for the first time. Check it out for the 20th time. I don't know. Check it out. Yeah. So Jamie, uh, you, you get the last word here. So give us a, give us your final thoughts on Black Christmas. You know, I feel like it's one of those movies that absolutely everyone does need to see. And if you haven't watched it in a while, you just need to revisit it because it's, there's just something timeless about it. And honestly, I'm excited to see like, as time goes on different reprisals of it and how people look at it and see all that analysis that we'll get in the future on it, even because it's such a, it's it's an important film on so many levels and it's it's just a master class in acting direction and screenwriting definitely okay well yeah, thank the bob you. clark doesn't get enough credit as a director i don't think generally um, so, so yeah jamie plug something uh, i don't know if you have anything to plug but uh uh we we always like to give you so tell us uh where we can find you or what you've been working on uh before we log out before we check out here Alrighty, so far uh, you can just find me at Twitter on Jamie A. Writes, or you can find me on Instagram, which is just, you know, at Jamie Alvey. I'm always around. I'm always writing, uh, writing a ton. Typically, that's what I do in addition to my day job. So, you know, I've just got a lot of irons in the fire, just trying to finish those out. And yeah, just everybody come and, you know, do you have an approved do you have an approved pitch that's coming out soon? Um yeah, I have I have the second I'm in the, the works on my second part of where I'm talking about uh masculinity in the works of Lee Winnell and I get to talk about I again I get to talk about the original draft of Dead Silence which um it's a whole different movie <laughs> than the theatrical one so that's going to be really fun talking about that and where's that where's that coming out that is going to come out on daily grindhouse um awesome awesome thank you sorry sam go ahead i said excellent that's i can't wait to read it yeah thank you yep excuse me so yeah so uh thank you very much jamie for being on um again uh it's been a great conversation we always love talking with you about stuff uh hopefully uh i didn't talk too much um i i have a tendency to get carried away sometimes um but uh, but thank you so much for being on um uh, oh actually i wanted to to tell you actually and sam um my co-worker uh matthias who's our security guy um i told him i had a podcast he 
went and looked it up. He's a big um, film buff, uh, philosophy buff. He's uh, he's one of those uh, Google hunting types where you you think he's pretty surface level, and then when you talk to him for more than a few minutes, he turns out to be this really deep ocean of uh, of an, of intellect. Uh, but he uh, his favorite horror movie was it chapter two, and he tracked down that episode and. Oh, he, nice. Uh, he wanted to pass along that um, he said it was a great episode. He said he learned a lot about it because he'd never read the book. Um, and then he said that Jamie was a great guest and uh, was incredibly knowledgeable and that he was really impressed with it. Oh, um, thank you. So yeah, he wanted, I wanted to send uh, that uh, also to Sam as well. He said he loved, yeah. uh, he loved the show. Um, in fact, uh, I was the one he took issue with. He didn't like some of my, <laughs> oh. um, he liked you guys. I, I don't take uh, issue with you. Yeah, uh, well, I, I appreciate that. But no, he, he, he wanted to debate me on some of my viewpoints on that film. Right. Um, but he, he uh, wanted, I did want to pass that along, that he uh, specifically read, listened to that episode and mentioned that Jamie was great and that you were great, Sam. So well, Jamie is great. I think he might be wrong about me. Yeah. But, uh, I'll, I'll take it anyways. But yes, he, uh, but yeah, I wanted to make sure I passed that along uh, on the air that uh, you, you got a good review from one of ours. So, um, so very, thank you very much for coming back on again. Thank you for having me. I love, I love it. Good, good. We're glad to hear that. Um, so what we'll say finally is, uh, is thank you very much uh, for listening as always. Uh, hopefully some of the 90 people who listened to last week's episode will come back for this one. Um, and uh, for the 90 people listening, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Um, but also if uh, for the regular listeners we've had all along, uh, thank you very much for continuing to show, to, to come on, to listen to our show. Uh, we love doing it. We're going to keep doing it. Um, and so we want to say thank you very much for that. And, uh, to remind you to love yourself, love your fellow horror fans, uh, keep it positive, keep it constructive. And like I said earlier, don't be like Barb where the last thing you say to somebody is something shitty. If you like people, tell them you like them. Um, and cause you never know when Billy will get them. So, um, so thank you very much. Good night and namaste. Oh, oh, oh fuck. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. Uh, but we'll see you next week for one more Christmas episode. But uh, and uh, happy holidays to you from uh, uh, at the Devil's Ball. So thank you very much and namaste. Oh,